Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun and formal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite, designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. This struggle that we are dealing with, with Lyme disease, or what the Western doctors and Western medicine likes to call so-called Lyme disease or so-called chronic Lyme disease has been really interesting. On one end of the spectrum are the Western doctors. And the one test that they have that isn't very reliable and is probably so unreliable as to be a ridiculous test for Lyme, on the other end of the spectrum are quacks who are making all kinds of hyperbaric chambers and snake oil to try to sell to desperately sick people. And in between, it seems as though Lyme disease is becoming one of the biggest contentious diseases that we are facing as potentially an epidemic. Not sure that it even is right to call it Lyme disease because there are so many co-infections and there are so many moving variables, but some people think it's the same thing that causes MS or fibromyalgia or all of these other things. Anyway, into the chasm between the two poles, Western medicine Eastern medicine or alternative medicine fall thousands and eventually probably millions of sick people. Dane is one of them. And his neurologist is really good, open-minded. I really like his neurologist. I called about, Dane was too sick to call. I called about some new symptoms. And we had a conversation that was so common. He said to me, we've looked at a lot of things. We've been unable to figure out exactly what it is even though he actually has a Lyme diagnosis from a lab. And we need to always consider, and I know people don't want to hear this, but we need to always consider the psychosomatic element of illness. And that is something that Lyme patients talk about all the time. It's something that people with depression and other kinds of things that you can't just take a blood test or take a sample of your liver and determine what it is, A lot of diseases are determined clinically, meaning all of psychiatric diseases are determined clinically. You can't take a blood test and say you have bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or depression, major depressive disorder. So this is this moment. And it's almost like coming up to an intersection. You know those intersections where there's a roundabout? Take exit one, two, three, four, five, or six. It's more than a four-way stop. It's like there's so many options. You get off on the wrong one. You have to go back on the roundabout. That's how I was thinking. I'm right here right now. And so I said to him, so you're saying it's idiopathic? And that's what doctors like to say when they don't know what it is. I think, who was it? There was some cognitive scientist who said it means idiot, doctor, pathetic patient. (laughs) But he said, well, no, there might be the psychosomatic element. I said, how do you prescribe or what do you prescribe as a treatment for the kind of psychosomatic disorders that cause these symptoms, cause fainting, cause fourth nerve neuropathy, cause ulcers, all of this. And there's this long pause. And I said, would it be better to think of it as a thought disorder? And he says, you know, maybe. And I said, given that you are a neurologist (laughs) and we 
the way, at least the way we perceive it now is thoughts do reside in, originate from, result in mechanisms in the brain, which is your area of expertise. What would you prescribe as treatment for a thought disorder? I mean, I know that if you have a thought disorder of stress or anxiety, you prescribe maybe Prozac. But how, what, what do you prescribe for a thought disorder that results in fourth nerve neuropathy, for example? or physical manifest manifestations? What, what, what kind of prescription as a neurologist, how do you think about a thought disorder? And do you think we control our thoughts? And as a neurologist, have you gotten better at controlling your thoughts? And specifically, if you have, or if you have a way of doing it, again, as a neurologist, could you prevent yourself from having a thought for the oh next 60 God. seconds? <laughs> wow. There was a long pause. And he said, well, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a really good point. And I said, maybe the reason that people are not thrilled with being told that it's all in their head is that everything is in our head. Every movement we make, every breath we take, every heartbeat either originates or has some kind of circular back to the head, back to your area, neurology. Mm-hmm. And maybe the frustration is when you say it's all in your head, it's like, well, that doesn't differentiate it because everything is in our head. And maybe it's a better way to talk about it as a thought disorder. And if it is, and your area of expertise is thinking, then what do you, or the, or, or the place where thoughts originate, how do you, what do you do? Because I decided not to let his dismissive attitude or even more outdated science piss me off. I decided not to argue. And what I got was way more satisfying. Well, what did the neurologist say? I'm dying. He said, there was a long pause, and he said, that's a really good point. And I wasn't arguing with him. I wasn't challenging. I was very nice about it. And most people, I would assume, would go right to the defensive. So it's amazing that you took that in the roundabout. You took that seventh exit. (laughs) Right. I think he was expecting it because he said a lot of very intelligent, a lot of very highly educated people do get trapped in these psychosomatic with these psychosomatic illnesses. So I think he was trying to say, I'm not suggesting that you're undereducated, but I don't think he was expecting that because I do think we are mischaracterizing things when we have to argue. I think it's a, okay. I think it's a really silly argument to argue whether something is all in your head or not, because we know that everything is in your head. Everything is in our head. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to look at things as thought disorders But to the extent that we control our thoughts, now, you might have depressive thoughts and you take Prozac or something like that. Okay, so, or maybe someone else has depressive thoughts, so they smoke weed or they take psychedelics. I'm not sure that that's really getting to the, I mean, we can change our thoughts, we can numb our thoughts, we can drink ourselves to oblivion so we have no thoughts, but do we control our thoughts? Mm -mm. And if we don't, then all of these diseases that are thought disorders, then what the hell have we learned? What's a neurologist do other than saying, you have a headache, that's a migraine, we're going to treat that with one of 10 different drugs that have been kind of sort of work with migraines, but we don't really know why people have migraines. That's a lot of times what the problem is with Western medicine, is they like to put some type of block. They don't heal the problem. They're just healing the issues you have from that problem. Well, I mean, chemotherapy can cure. Or a heart transplant, I understand. I mean, but, a lot, but medicine is a lot of times just to block the symptoms. 
Right. And the symptoms might be the only thing that really bother us. So mm-hmm. we can go on. I think that and I think it's legitimate. But I also think it's kind of silly to argue about something and whether it is or isn't a psychosomatic illness. So back to the curiosity bite. Yes. What's the dumbest thing someone has argued with you about? <laughs> I always bring Sonny into this and he gets mad when he listens. But I am going to have to say Sonny. Sonny. <laughs> thanks, for being, thanks for being a good sport, Sonny. <laughs> I love you. But one of the things that drives me crazy is when we are having an argument or a misunderstanding And he keeps repeating the same thing over and over again, the same exact words. It's not that he's taking a different approach and trying to see if maybe I don't understand the way he's presenting it. He just keeps on repeating the same sentence. And I yell at him saying, you know, saying the same thing over and over again is not going to help me understand or change my mind about this particular issue. It is so frustrating. And I think that's pretty stupid. Maybe he doesn't understand the topic well enough to come up with a whole bunch of different arguments. And the argument that he heard was so convincing to him that that was enough. Maybe. What about you? Do you what dumb arguments do you make? Sonny? I See, never. I've, I've got your back, Sonny. So. <laughs> hmm. I'm sure. Believe me. I know I make a lot of dumb arguments. I just can't think of anything. What about you? I make a lot of dumb arguments. So I argue with Stephen a lot about, let's just take something simple, like what he has for breakfast. (laughs) And I know that from what we know, which is may or may not be true, but there are certain foods that contribute to inflammation and certain foods that you eat in the morning that can stimulate you in ways that are less healthy or more healthy. And he eats a breakfast every morning that I think in my deep research as a nutritionist, which I'm not, (laughs) that it's not ideal to eat a big carb and berry breakfast in the morning because of inflammation, because of what that does for all kinds of things. And it's I think it's bad. So what's the dumb argument? The dumb argument is I keep telling him that it's bad and I keep using the same argument, the Mm. inflammation, the weight gain, the triggering of the sugar. And even though things are low sugar, to start a breakfast with sugar and dairy and carbs is probably, probably know that that's not the best way to start your day. Now, I don't provide any new information. I just more vehemently continue to argue and tell him to consider something else over and over and over again not really thinking about the fact that maybe he doesn't really care about inflammation. Maybe it's just not important. Maybe just what tastes good in the morning is better than any worry about what could happen in the future. So I keep making that argument and I'm not bringing in more data. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I try to find more data, but it seems like it's compelling enough data. Yeah. So that's Give a dumb, up the ghost, Becky. That is a bad argument. Mm-hmm. That's an example. I still, can't, I, I still can't think of it. I know that I do. I just can't think of anything right now. When you are teaching your speech and debate folk, is there are there rules that they should consider where it's kind of universally seen as a dumb argument or something dumb to argue about or some dumb way to argue? For example, logical fallacies. That's in the critical thinking course that just launched on LinkedIn Learning. Awesome. Check that out. <laughs> and the key logical fallacies that you see people making are the ad hominem mm-hmm. fallacy where they start arguing with someone about a topic, and then they switch to argue a, argue the person, like argue, well, you're just dumb or you're just uneducated, which makes the actual argument switch from the topic to the person. That's ad hominem. We call, it, we call it a critique, mm-hmm. and it is absolutely not allowed. 
Oh, in speech and debate? Well, it's not absolutely. (laughs) Take that back. It does happen at the higher levels, like collegiate levels, or if you get more advanced and you have judges that are very experienced, sometimes they'll bring out a critique. But really, it is frowned upon. When you start saying, you can't argue this point because you're a woman. There's a lot of that right now. You see, I mean, you want to see the cesspool of logical fallacies? Go to Twitter. There's a lot of other fallacies that we get into in the course, the straw man fallacy. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, and it's so common. When you think about why you argue, can you identify a feeling in your body that contributes to you jumping into an argument versus one where you might witness an argument and you don't jump in? There are visceral responses, and it's very difficult to control yourself when those things are happening. You have taken up meditation. Right. Probably that helps check yourself before you open your mouth. Absolutely, because you can control your cortisol levels. Because when you have high stress, fear, distrust, then the neurotransmitter cortisol floods the brain. Mm -hmm. And that really challenges our executive function. And younger or non-developed limbic systems or non-developing prefrontal cortexes (laughs) make it very difficult to control yourself and you jump into these arguments. And when that happens, you're really, it's a challenge to make good arguments. And then the amygdala takes over and that's kind of our instinctive brain. And it's all really about the body makes a chemical choice with regard to how best to protect itself. Do you think that it shows the older we get, the more advanced we are at being able to control that? I mean, I understand that as teenagers, when your prefrontal cortex isn't developed as much, that I get. But do we get better as we age? We need to train ourselves how to think. We spend a lot of time training ourselves in what to think, but we spend very little time training our brains how to think. Agreed. So I'm not sure that I can answer that in general because I think there are plenty of people who don't take the time and frankly haven't had the luxury Mm. to train themselves how to think. And we conflate that with what to think. And that's one of the things about critical thinking is critical thinking is about how to think, whereas strategic thinking might be what to think. Mm -hmm. And we don't really see those distinctions. So if we are being a really strategic thinker, we think we're covering our bases and we're not really being a critical thinker necessarily. And that's why understanding the distinctions is important. But we really default to one of four responses, fight, you know, which is keep arguing the point, Mm -hmm. which is what you're criticizing. Repeating, 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 repeating. Keep arguing the point. Flight, revert to and hide behind a different kind of thing like a fallacy or group consensus. Everyone disagrees with you or you're just the, you're just a woman. You can't know mm-hmm. or you're not a woman. You can't know. Mm-hmm. Freeze. You disengage from the argument by shutting up and or appease, which is make nice with your adversary by simply agreeing with him or her. So those are really the, the four responses. That's my least favorite. That's the one you, because mom taught you not to be a follower. Yeah, I'm not a follower. Because we, we were taught not to be followers. Do you think that there's cultural differences in arguing? Oh, absolutely. You think not arguing in England, you hear that all the time that they don't bring out their garbage at the dinner table. No, they bring and... it up in their parliamentary with the <laughs> wigs yelling and screaming at each other. Right, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious to talk about. And that's interesting because maybe in societies, and this is completely armchair psychology with zero evidence, but maybe in societies 
where there is more of a repressed arguing culture like Japan or even England versus Israel, where everything is, <laughs> you, you know, you argue about everything. Yes. Maybe that you see more of an argumentative or backlash culture in other areas. I don't know. I don't know about Japan, but certainly when you look at England, I, I haven't really thought about England as being repressed in terms of not arguing in public, but there's proper, highly proper. But then you get to the sporting, you get to football, football, soccer, mm-hmm. and they're screaming and yelling and whatever. And in the parliament, I mean, it makes it makes what goes on in our Congress look like a meditation retreat. Tweet, 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 tweet. I remember so many times people coming over when we were growing up and we would be arguing in our family. Maybe mom and dad were arguing. They didn't care. It wasn't anything that was... Nothing big. It was nothing big, but just arguing about something. Bob, stop eating, whatever it was. (laughs) Hmm. And people would come over and some of our friends were so used to it and others would just be so fascinated with the fact that you just argue out in the open. Oh, yeah. I had this girl that was spending the night at our house one night with Ginger and Sonny yelled at Ginger for about something. I can't remember. It was not even a big deal. It probably was, you know, she left her socks upstairs or something. (laughs) The girl was so traumatized. Because Sunny yelled at Ginger. Because Sunny yelled at her in front of her that she called her parents and got picked up and never wanted to spend the night at our house I could understand if you were yelling at Ginger. I know. I'm the loud one. Sunny's not even that loud. Do you ever get tongue-tied in an intense argument? With you. No one else? You don't get tongue-tied in, in an intense argument? Um, I mostly get tongue-tied when I am not sure w- what I'm going to say. Well, I, I'm pretty good at arguing for the most part, but not with you. With whom do you have good arguments? I think I have good arguments with Moses. Mm-hmm. We have great arguments. I enjoy mm-hmm. that. Well, I don't always enjoy it, but I think we usually have good arguments. I feel that I have a lot to contribute as far as discourse with my speech and debate team that I coach. Do you do do you spend more time arguing or questioning them so they can come up with arguments? Questioning. Yeah. Because that's really your role. Your role isn't to win an argument with them. Your no. role is to inspire them to think differently. So that might be different. In my mind, I'm thinking of the arguments, though. <laughs> and I'm proud of myself when I come up with good, especially when I'm judging, because then in my mind, I'm thinking, why didn't they say this? Why didn't they say that? Well, it's amazing what a bad argument, how a bad argument can bring on stress. And stress oh, yeah. is really bad for your short term memory. So people who get tongue tied hmm. actually stress in because Stress increases cortisol, and that's the steroid that helps our body stay alert in bad situations. And there's a lot of research done that increased levels of cortisol over extended periods of time have been linked to losses of synapses in the prefrontal cortex, which is associated with short-term memory. I have bad short-term memory. Well, one of the things you may consider, and we can control our cortisol levels, is practicing discourse and practicing not having external factors influence our internal factors. I honestly think, and this is why I asked the question earlier, that I have gotten so much better at this. I've learned, and it might be just working with you and doing our workshops and stuff, but I feel that I have gotten stronger at suppressing some of that heat that rises to my face and being able to just not exactly meditate it away, but I'm able to be able to engage without too much emotion behind it. Just controlling the neurochemicals in your body, Mm -hmm. not necessarily judging whether your response was good or bad, but just your internal response. So have you heard of 478 breathing? No. All right. So 478 breathing, you want to try it? Yes. All right. 
put your tongue up by the front by your two front teeth. Okay. And then you breathe in for four seconds. Don't do it until I tell you the oh, whole sequence because oh, oh. otherwise you're not going to have the right breath. <sighs> breathe in for four seconds. Then you hold it for seven seconds. And then you whoosh it out, not too fast because you have to whoosh it all out over eight seconds. It's not breathing all the way in and all the way out. It's four in, which could be deeper four. It's seven hold, whoosh eight out. And what do, does this do? You do that up to four times. And that actually reduces your stress hormones. Ooh. This is something before presentation or before going in to have an argument, or you know you're going to have to go into a negotiation, it actually decreases your stress hormones and makes you more able to judge with a clearer mind. Let me before we'll try it in a second, but let me ask you another question. Okay. When you are driving in traffic and you get lost, what's the first thing you do? The very first thing. Swear. <laughs> what's the second thing you do? Turn down the radio. Oh. We turned down the radio to turn down the cognitive noise. I remember when <laughs> mom and dad used to turn down the radio. I knew that meant that I was in trouble. <laughs> that they were going to yell at me. Really? Because they turned down the radio. Get ready, sister. Hold on. All right. We're going to try one, four, seven, eight breathing. Okay. Are we doing it together or? I'm gonna, or... I'll, we'll do it together. Okay. okay. But I'll have to describe it. Okay. So tongue to the top of the, okay. behind your teeth. Breathe in four. Hold seven. <laughs> okay, not you. Hold seven. Okay, now whoosh out eight. Now you do that no more than four times because it can. What if I do more than four times? Probably shouldn't. Oh, then want... I'll go co I'll comatose. <laughs> then you're so de-stressed that you can't even get out of bed. But for little <laughs> Better than a bong hit. <laughs> You ready for my list? I am. This is a game we're going to play. Okay. I love games. And I don't know if you remember, but... What game was that? Um, match game! Oh, I, oh okay. So we're going to play the match game. I'm going to read you some quotes about arguments. Mm -hmm. And you're going to finish... I'm going to read you part of the quote. And I finish the quote. And you finish the quote. Okay. I'll say... Blank. Okay. And then you'll finish it. Okay. Here's the first one. The more arguments you win, the blank. The fewer friends you have. Oh, my gosh. Ding, 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 ding. Wait, ding, no ding, way. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Oh, that's ridiculous. You did I it. I never get these right. <laughs> oh, maybe this is going to be too easy. Go, let's break them on. I, All right. I, I have a feeling I'm going to do really well today. <laughs> I'm feeling good. I'm feeling it. Oh, because you know why? Because well, you did the four, seven, eight. I did. Here's the next one. Mm -hmm. A relationship with no arguments is a relationship blank. With a lot of side stupages. <laughs> <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Wait. Pretty much ding, ding, ding. Wait, because ding, ding, ding. Wait, ding, ding, ding. It's not side stupages, but it's... A, a relationship with no arguments is a relationship with a lot of secrets. So, I agree. Mm -hmm. Because if you keep a lot of things bottled up inside to yourself and you don't argue them, then number one, you can't, you just fester because you have no, yeah. Mm -hmm. Although a lot of people, a lot of times, you know, people say, pick your arguments, pick your arguments. And you, you know, don't, you don't subscribe to no, that. No, I do. I, <laughs> I have a lot. If you only knew the ones that I keep to myself, I am very selective. It just doesn't oh, seem my. that way because you don't see the entire content of the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> okay. True. A good friend just 
told me that the key to a successful marriage was blank. What? Okay. If it was a good friend of yours or a good friend this of mine. This is a quote. Oh. Well, <laughs> any good friend of mine who said a key to successful marriage was don't go to bed angry would not be a good friend of mine because they would know that I would be dead from insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> so that is not any, that, that is no good friend who wants that kind of bad health on, that ill, wishes ill health like that on, on me or you. Well, it's not, that's okay. not the answer. Well, let me guess the answer. I thought that's what you were answering. No, no, the key. Go to bed angry. No, the key to a good marriage is... With regard to arguing, yes, is agreement with every argument I make. With <laughs> you, oh, okay. <laughs> a key to uh, the, a successful marriage is to argue naked because you want to finish that argument as quickly as you can, so no one has to see any of that. Okay, you're right. I'm going away now because, uh, by definition, a naked argument is an ad hominem argument. <laughs> You do. Well, I don't care what you say about global climate change. You've got cellulite. <laughs> Anyone with cellulite shouldn't be making that making that contention. All right, I know that is ridiculous. This is this is a, this is a hilarious list. I'm doing kind of well. You're though. doing not. You're yeah. you're pretty pretty good at this. You know, you won an argument when the other person responds with blank. Their safe word. <laughs> Cacao. <laughs> Oh, it's not that? Whatever. Oh, you mean you're making an argument and you're going on and on with all of this really good evidence and they're like, whatever. Whatever. Okay, that's lame. Okay. Never forget what someone says to you when they're angry because blank. They might perceive you as having dementia. (laughs) (laughs) No. Never forget what someone says to you when they're angry, because that's when the real truth comes out. I thought that was just when you drink. Oh, yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think that the truth comes out more when you drink? It depends on who's the drinker. I mean, when I drink red wine, I love everyone. And I don't know. And that ain't the truth. And I don't know if that's the truth. You really love everyone? I do get a little lovey-dovey when I drink wine, which is, you know, frequent. (laughs) So you are you are the Marianne Williamson of <laughs> which one was she? <laughs> she wasn't the Hawaiian. She wasn't the she was the oh she was that weird one. Yeah. <laughs> she was the weird one. But she love oh she love yeah that's right. Just bring the love back. You ready for the last one? I am. Don't worry when I argue with you. Worry when I stop because blank. I be dead. for you that's correct (laughs) don't worry when i argue with you worry when i stop because it means there's nothing left to fight for welcome thank you for attending match game are you ready for the sort of fact i'm so ready all right a little background we've discussed it takes a lot of time patience and sometimes professional guidance to teach our brains new ways of responding to arguments, whether it's meditation or 478 breathing, but it is really valuable. Brain scientists at pre-U, prestigious (laughs) university, (laughs) found that this process of neuroplasticity is suggested as something that other people should do by 87% of the respondents 
and 3% of the respondents suggested that it was something that they should consider doing. The remaining percentage... I was just going to ask you that. ...decided not to participate in the study at PU. Whatever. Thanks for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing curiosity-bitten conversations, Subscribe to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Applied Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to ApplyCuriosityLab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.